0: Welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast by Local Government Chronicle and TPX Impact. Each month, we bring together leading figures from within and around local government to discuss the sector's future. If you enjoy listening to The Local Authority, hit the subscribe button to have new episodes delivered to your device each month. You can share this podcast with your colleagues by going to lgcplus.com forward slash podcast.
1: Welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast from Local Government Chronicle and TPX Impact. I'm Sarah Calkin, the LGC Editor. Today we're going to be talking about the challenge of setting budgets in a very uncertain climate. For the fourth year in a row, the Government has handed councils a single year finance settlement, albeit we do have some indication of what to expect the following year. After more than a decade of funding restraint and in the face of high inflation, the uncertainty of single-year budgets adds to Council's challenge in planning services. So as budget setting season is drawn to a close around the country, we wanted to explore how councils have been managing balancing their books in these circumstances. I'm joined today by Peter Marland, leader of Milton Keynes Council and chair of the LGA's Resources Board, Patrick Mellier. Chief Executive of Sunderland City Council and also the finance spokesperson for Solace, and Joanne Pitt, head of policy for SIPFA. So, uh, Patrick, can I can I come to you first? Um, how has budget setting gone in Sunderland th- this year?
2: Yeah, no, it's been a a, a very interesting year. Obviously, in, we're planning out over a five ten year horizon. The next five years look very difficult for us in terms of the level of savings that we're going to have to make as a local authority. Um, We were already planning for the financial year about to start to use around 10, 12 million pounds worth of our reserves to try and smooth out uh, our savings um, targets over the next five years. Um, But we so we've been taking a kind of a longer, sh- a medium term view. Sorry, in terms of savings we need to make over this next few years, and what is it we need to do for twenty three, twenty four, and what are the priorities of members? So we did a re- residence survey a year ago that highlighted a number of key concerns for for residents in terms things around antisocial behaviour, um, um, house, uh, I suppose issues around housing in the city, etc. So we. We've kind of tried, the members try to take account of residents' priorities, what they've heard on the doorsteps and then balance out increasing demands for children's services, increasing pressures as a result of COVID on adults. Um, So it was quite a tough conversation in the summer and in the early autumn time around the level of savings we'd need to make. Um, Obviously, the additional funding that's come through for adult social care in the budget time was really helpful and some members have have managed to reduce the number of savings and probably reduce the level of reserves we're using to balance the budget next year. Um, So it's made life easier than we thought it was going to be, but it's just basically shunted the problem a year back, uh, uh, which is a real issue for us. Um, We are still concerned around pressures in adult social care, still concerned around our families and pressures, therefore, on children's services and we still plan to use reserves in 23, 4 and beyond where we we find 50 to 60 million pounds worth of savings over the the next four years. So the budget helped and members because of the cost of living and impact on our residents uh, choose to only do a three percent increase in council tax, but that's because of what they're hearing on the doorsteps. Right. and they felt they needed to do as much as they could to uh, soften the blow of other increases uh, that were coming through for residents so it, it kind of stores up pressures for future years but gets yeah. the members through this year coming.
1: And, and Peter what about Milton Keynes How, how's the budget setting process gone there this year?
3: So I think by uh, summer we'd balance the budget but but like Sunderland and most other councils, I think we were planning to use some reserves to smooth out the savings over the next uh, two to three years. Um, I think what the financial settlement did um, is allow us, like everybody, to shift those problems. So we've now effectively balanced the budget for this year and next year without using reserves, but that's moved the problem into the medium term, in, into year three. And I think what as the lga we're tr- trying to understand is how future government the future government because that falls after the next general election where the long-term funding settlement is going to be for local government through uh, the department of housing and communities because i think what the settlement did was good uh, most councils i think had basically budgeted for flat cash and we ended up with equivalent of about nine percent uh, but obviously a lot of that was taken out through inflation but it it was probably the best best financial settlement we've had in in nearly a decade uh we'd have been in a lot of trouble without it uh but it's definitely that now third and fourth year where most councils are looking. Uh, to say that's where the real problem has come. And that's where the government have indicated uh, through the Office of Budget Responsibility that that's more likely where cuts or reductions or freezing of public spending is going to be in the next comprehensive financial settlement period. So that's not to say, again, as the OGA, that... There are a number of authorities that aren't really struggling at this point and next year but i think sort of as a collective it's always a bit of a bell curve isn't it and most of us are sort of in the middle of it. it allowed us that breathing space to work out where we're going to make the additional savings as again as a unitary authority have to deliver social care for children have to deliver the rising costs of adult social care um have to provide more home to school transport um, we're also a housing authority, so having to deliver ever-increasing numbers of people in um, in temporary accommodation. Uh, but it does give us a year, 18 months, to work out where we're going to make those savings. But again, as Chair of the Resources Board, I keep making this point that at the moment, all local authorities are on the path to a Section 114 notice. It's just... How quickly that will come depends on where you are and what sort of authority you are and what decisions you've made in the past. So the short term, OK, medium term, difficult, long term, unknown.
1: Thanks, Peter. And Joanne, does that fit with what SIPFA members are telling you? Is, is this a widespread use of reserves and and is it everyone on a path to Section 114? <laughs> um...
4: Yeah, I think you are seeing the widespread use of reserves, particularly um, after, uh, you know, after Covid. So a lot of local authorities are using those reserves to uh, balance their budget this year. Um, We've seen from the figures released uh, around council tax increases that most councils have increased uh, council tax uh, by a lot of 5%. So we can see that they're maximising the income there. But when you think about the um, uh, inflation figures of sort of ten percent, there is still a significant uh, pressure on councils to balance uh, that, and I don't think that that's going to go away. Particular pressures we're seeing around pay um, and some of those uh, construction, uh, you know, uh, projects. That uh, perhaps were delayed over COVID, and now they've gone into a period where inflation has caused um, them to increase, and so the viability of some of those projects has been really challenging. Um, so, yeah, again, uh, you know, it's a short term, uh, a short term uh, settlement, and local authorities we're seeing are on the whole coming out of that with balanced budgets. But I would. You know, I would agree with uh, with with one of Peter's comments about uh, the pressures down the line. So a bit of a sort of toothpaste tube moment where you're squeezing uh, one end, but, you know, it will have an impact somewhere else. Um, so we need to be to be very mindful of that for those medium term uh, financial plans.
2: Yeah. And no, Can I just come in? Because I think um, although we've across the country, we've balanced our Books. It's interesting. Just the some the peer award which joanne mentioned, we um budgeted for around a five percent peer award. For us, the current offer on the table is close at the seven percent. When you average it out, so that's two and a half million pound we have to find in year or take out of reserves, and that's we haven't even begun the financial year yet. But we're already looking at that pressure, and I do have concerns. Inflation figures were higher than expected recently when they were published. If that trend continues, that just puts more added pressure on our families, either yeah, um, and that pressure will come through to us as extra additional service demand and pressures as the year goes on. So I'm looking to a very difficult year in terms of balancing the books in year because of things like pay award. If inflation doesn't come down as predicted by the end of the year, that means additional costs in year and other things, as well as demand pressures because of our families in crisis. So, at this point in time, I think across the country we're sitting here with balanced budgets, starting first of April. Yeah, yeah. We don't.
1: Good point. And so, I want to get um, into that the questions of, sort of demand management and and the trade offs and, and things in a moment. But can we just deal with this, this question of reserves because the government would say. You know, oh, councils have got reserves. You're all using them. There was kind of even an explicit encouragement to do so in the in the settlement this year. You know what? What's the problem? <laughs> Who wants to come in on
2: that? I, I can go if you want because I've had yeah. conversations with DLUK officials on this re- in, in my solace role. Um, a number of authorities across the country reserves increased through COVID, and you kind of think, well, that was our rainy day when we should have been using them, but actually a lot of the impact of COVID is is going to be seen this year and next year and the year after. So I don't mind having some of those reserves because we will use those reserves that were built up through COVID to deal with the, the increases in demands on our services. Um, but the point I keep making to government is we don't know what's coming next year. So we're not going to re- reuse our reserves this year if we don't have to. If you give us multi-year settlements... We might be more minded to use our reserves in a strategic, structured way. As long as you keep to one-year settlements, we're going to try and keep a rainy day money because we don't know what we're going to get next year if any any increases or cuts. So you're not helping us to plan strategically. Therefore, we can't use our reserves strategically. So fix the system nationally. We will use our reserves in a much more strategic, structured way to have a real impact on residents.
1: Thank you, Joanne. You wanted to come
4: in on that as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think reserves um, have been uh, one of the one of the areas of focus, and uh, you know, uh, in the policy statement uh, issued before Christmas, the uh, are are looking at reserved, and there's a stakeholder group including Sitfer, um, in that conversation, along with the uh, treasurers. Um, and, uh, you know, the the figures, in fact, with the RO form was re-released um, only last week, and we're seeing figures of a sort of earmarked uh, reserves of sort of £28 billion. Pounds. So there is a lot of money in there. And the work has to be done about understanding why reserves are being held. It's not sort of a pot of money that um, councillors can just dip into without, uh, you know, without consideration. The the reasons that councils hold these reserves um, need to be really transparent. Um, But, you know, they're they're for risk management and they are, you know, it's a complex set of reasons why there's funding within or there's money within those reserves. And I think that uh, the work that's being done about improving that transparency and uh, understanding the narrative will help uh, everyone um, with this discussion um uh, to, to just dip into reserves to constantly um, balance budgets over shortfalls in funding is, is going to be short sighted. Uh, you know, local authorities can't, uh, can't continue to do that. And we've seen from the work we've done around our resilience index that authorities with little to no reserves are the nearest ones near, you know, to that section 114 cliff face. So, it's a really important part of resilience within the whole public sector. Uh, And so, it needs to be understood and appreciated. Um, And, uh, you know, as as Patrick was saying, you know, as risks increase, um, you know, reserves are held to balance uh, and to protect uh, against uh, those risks because we have to deliver public sector, we have to deliver services. So, you know, we, we see a rise in, 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 um, in reserves and that reflects a greater risk. In fact, his point about as a long term settlement, when we did some work on reserves, The only time reserves have actually dipped in the last uh, 10 years was when, I think it was 2015, Something correct me if it wasn't, 2015-16, when we had the multi-year settlement. And then we saw a marginal dip in reserves that year because there was a degree of of, of confidence. Other than that, we see the reserves increase.
1: Yeah, Patrick.
2: Sorry, and it was also just to say... A treasury will look at the size of our reserves. What they don't look at is how long they will last. And the number of authorities have made the point that actually their reserves might look significant because they're tens of millions. They'll only last three months or six months. Yeah. So in the scheme of things, they're not great. And I kind of, I mean, I've used the, the stupid, kind of the example, Martin Lewis, when he's on TV, we'll talk about, as a as a householder, you should have three months' worth of savings to cover your bills. Six months mm. is preferable. Most local authorities don't have that, so the size of the reserves looks big, but actually, in context of what we spend on a monthly basis, they're not that significant. And Treasury haven't quite got that message yet, is my view.
1: Peter, so just to come to you as a politician, how do you, you know, how do you manage the fact that you know you can't perhaps do everything you would like to do. For your community in sort of current financial constraint? How do you approach the the need to make those, those difficult trade-offs?
3: Well, I mean, I think the starting point is you can never, regardless of political party, do everything you want to do for your community, because there is a finite pot of money, whether you are in local government or national government. Um, when I do our corporate inductions, I always say I don't really care if you're an officer, whether you vote for us or whether you vote Conservative or Lib Dem. Ultimately, you're here to deliver for the people of Milton Keynes and the businesses of Milton Keynes. But all this politics is is a different prioritisation of things. You know, politics is just me saying I would do this and my opposition saying we would do this. And then ultimately we let the public decide. And And that's all Politics with a capital P is, it's the prioritisation of different things. I think you've got to be honest with people to say, well, I would fix potholes and I would cut bushes. But unfortunately, it's not always the case in local government that you get to prioritise what you want. We have to prioritise so-called statutory services above everything else so we have to deliver social care we have to make sure that children uh, and vulnerable people are protected from harm as best we can we have to make sure that we are delivering our uh, our duties in terms of homelessness to to people and that all comes at the expense of what we would call discretionary services but to the vast majority of the public who pay their council tax who email me on a daily basis they're not discretionary you know how they've been emptied is not is not discretionary the fact that they want bushes cutting is not discretionary because they pay a sizable amount of money you know i think average council tax bill has gone above two thousand pounds for the first time ever this year um that is a Sizable chunk of an individual or family's income that is going on something, and more and more people will say the fact that we've had to cut and cut and cut not just in Milton Keynes Council but across the country in order to be able to deliver children's social care and adult social care. Where does my money go? And it's very difficult to turn around to the public and say, Well, actually, it goes on the fact that we had somebody come. To, to our door with two children those children were at risk we had to take one into care it takes six people to handle that child and that can cost a million pounds a year and we didn't budget for that and so that money has had to come from the fact that we have to not do y anymore or x anymore and and, and so it's very very difficult but i think the starting point is to be very clear that we don't have an infinite pot of money and just coming back to that conversation on reserves you know there are some reserves that are there because we've got to deliver schools we've got to deliver we've got to deliver you know new health centers for for new new estates and things like that there are reserves that we hold to balance risk um they're better off called being they're actually better off being described as contingencies aren't they rather than reserves um and then there are reserves that we hold because the system is broken. So we're currently holding about £35 million in reserve as an individual council for business rate appeals, because, you know, some some business rate appeals are sort of five or six, seven years old. If they were to fix the business rate appeal system, we could probably unlock some of that money overnight and spend it on some of these things. And... I've never been one, and legally we can't. I, I don't know what the general listenership of the podcast is, but the government and off-log sort of pushing along this line of you've got reserves used. Well, you should only be reusing reserves to balance your budget if you're able to balance it in future years. If you're not, I don't know what your 151 officer is saying to you. You can't just spend it and then hope something could come along next year to balance your budget. It won't. Northamptonshire tried that six years ago. Um, It didn't work for them. It won't work for Croydon. It won't work for Thurrock. Um, You know, the idea that the government's going to come and give you a big old chunk of money, not going to happen. Um, But unlocking some of those reserves might be able to for instance, in Milton Keynes, if I had £20 million to spend, I'd probably replace a lot of our current landscaping with landscaping that was easier to maintain and re- and reduce costs. But I don't have that £20 million up front. So unlocking reserves might make us may make some fundamental and systematic change that drives down overall cost. So it's about having that conversation with government and sort of understanding what offlog's position is going to be and what off- offlog's jog's going to be in allowing us to and sit for to have those conversations
1: yeah absolutely i think there's probably two other podcast topics there in the state of the business rate system and what is offlog g- g- going to be um, but um patrick i was interested you, you said at the start you kind of looking at over five ten year horizon i mean with you know with I suppose a one and a half years budget and you know, a general election and all that uncertainty, how do you start to predict what things are gonna look like in Sunderland in, in five years or ten years?
2: Yeah. I mean we you've got to take a balanced view of will will we be will grants stay um, cash neutral or will grants increase? So we, we make some assumptions around potential uh, cash being the same or cash being a little bit extra in terms of government grant, we make some assumptions around cancel tax and then we make some assumptions around inflation and from that it gives us a gap over this next few years of around £60 million that we need to find. Um, and what we then do is try and... F- so we're we we we're quite clear, unless there's a significant increase in government grant, um, we will have to find £60 million in the next four to five years to balance our books. That's on top of inflationary increases around council tax of maybe two anywhere between three and five percent, um, and taking everything else on board. So we're quite clear on that. If we can survive year to year through use of reserves or some additional funding from other ways we will. But we are always keeping that eye on as, as Peter said, you've got to can you continue to balance your books over the years ahead. And if you can't do that, you've got to take drastic action now to get to that point. So members are always trying to find ways how you get through the next year and the next year without making those significant cuts. But unless something changes in the system, we'll have to do that. So our view this year has been we'll push some of the problem down the line, but we know we've got to solve the problem. Um, And our task as an officer team is to find out solutions to those problems that are going to be politically acceptable so some of that's changing the way we deliver adult social care. How do we reduce the demand pressures coming through from children's services through earlier intervention, et cetera? Finding smarter ways to, to cut the trees and do landscaping, et cetera. So we are constantly trying to find ways to do to dampen demand, change the way we deliver services is a means of getting us a balanced picture in the long term. But it, you've just got to do both. You've got to work out what's politically acceptable year on year, while keeping you on track to have a balanced budget over the next five years, and you can't do one without the other. If you just concentrate on the year now and you don't have a longer-term view, you're going to be in Northampton or someone else coming down the line, as Peter's already said. So you've got to always have that. Other decisions we're doing now are going to help us and look okay when we look in hindsight in three and four years' time, having made the right decisions now. And that's always a difficult problem for members, particularly when you're heading into an election cycle. And yeah. and I think our conversations as LGA, SOLAS SIPTA over this next period of time has to be with the political parties influencing their manifestos. Because we know there's not going to be significant changes in local government finance system pre-election, but how do we influence the parties in the run-up to an election that gives us the ability to have a new system for local government finance after an election?
1: I mean, Joanne, on that, the new system for local government finance, I mean, is, there, is that sort of essential now? Is there any way that we could just carry on with the current system, or is, is, is reform unavoidable?
4: Um, I, th- I, think, I think reform is is needed uh but i mean we've had uh sort of you know fair funding on the books for you know the fair funding review on the books for the last sort of three years was kept being pushed back um, uh we've talked uh for sort of 20 20 years about council tax reform and uh and and where that can go but there has been very little political appetite for um the type of reform that we're talking about because um I mean, the the way that local government is funded is is complex and there's lots of little cogs and lots of wheels. And if you start turning one, it affects another. And you can't just sort of pick something in isolation and go, yeah, let's sort this out because I guarantee it will affect something somewhere along those lines. So that requires um, a wholesale consideration of the funding. And then on top of that, obviously you get the the classic dilemma between sort of incentivization uh, and, and sort of redistribution. And that again, you know, sparks a great, you know, a, 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 a good conversation and a debate that needs uh needs to be balanced because you will have winners and losers when you do a, a reform of that type. Um, so uh in answer to your question, yes, it does need reform, but there's Perhaps also a a question here about what is the expectation of local government per se for the for the money? You know, if you're not going to, um, you know, if you can't deliver what you you know, what is expected of you, that conversation needs to be addressed. And, you know, the the, the role of local government, what is expected of local government within the, the funding envelope that it has because to, to, to understand the sort of statutory nature that has to be delivered and the amount of statutory, I think there's over a thousand statutory uh, uh, duties on a on a local authority, some of them going back to the, you know, <laughs> back to 1940s and, and things like that. So um, there's a big conversation here. You can't just perhaps look at funding without actually looking at what the expectation is for local government in the future and that's you know a long-term future so you can design a funding system that is fit for purpose um, and delivers those public sector um, uh, services not just in the sort of next three to four years but we're talking you know to 2050 that long-term view Uh, and then there's, uh, there's a certainty um, and and local authorities will be able to deliver to to that. But I, do, I sort of don't think that you can isolate the funding with that discussion now on on the role of uh, of of, of, um, of local government itself.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, Peter, as a politician, can you see, though, reform of local government finance it doesn't ever seem like it's going to be a vote winner can you see any political party kind of taking taking that on
3: uh not under those headlines no um but where i think there is a huge opportunity for local government is around how we redistribute money that is currently in the system i don't think you could we we are what what it's a fact isn't it that we are now at the highest levels of taxation since sort of post napoleonic uh, times the i personally and i think it's the lga view that there is more than enough total quantum of money within the whole taxation system i think you we are going down a cul-de-sac as local government if we say, you need to reform business rates or you need to reform council tax because if there was better systems, it's a bit like the electoral system, if there was a better one that was easier and everybody agreed on it, then, then we will, all political parties, no matter what their colour, would introduce it tomorrow. But if you pull a piece of string, it becomes very, very complicated. Where I think the opportunity is for local government is about saying actually why does government spend this amount of money on the minister, uh, the department of transport when local authorities could deliver that cheaper and more efficiently at a local or a regional level and it's the same with it's the same with health it's the same with it's the same with uh, a lot of money the dwp spend a lot of money that the department of education spend so i think as local authorities our best bet is to say well where's most of our cost coming from children's and adults how do you fix that problem i don't see the problem i don't see the problem being fixed by saying you know, Patrick or Joanne or you should be taxed more because we're already taxed quite a lot. I think it's about saying that proportion of tax, that, that level of government income, needs to be shifted to local authorities to do more preventative work, to do et cetera, et cetera. And it needs to be done in a less piecemeal way. I think there's a huge challenge at the moment that Greater Manchester and the West Midlands and other bits of the country seem to be swimming off into the distance because they've got easily easy sort of. Uh, easy put together jigsaws of combined authorities when other places don't. Milton Keynes doesn't. We don't sit easily within any one region. So we don't have access to that ability to be able to have a meritorial combined authority. But I, I do think there's the opportunity there to say, how do we use the money that's in the system better? And how does that alleviate some of the cost pressures on local government to free up money to be able to do things we all need? Because Patrick and his leader, you know, or myself and my chief executive or the leader of Buckinghamshire or the leader of Northamptonshire or the leader of, the leader of Brighton, you know, all of these people know how best to run their local authority. And if we just become a delivery arm of government, what you end up with is a patchwork of random grants, that at the end of the day, we're given for political imperative. And at some point, someone's going to come along and go, why are we giving local authorities 72 different grants? Let's roll them all up. Let's call it, I don't know, the revenue support grant. Uh, let's take 10% off it and, and see if they can deliver, you know, the potholes and the and the this and the that and the this and the household support scheme for the same amount of money but a little bit less and we've combined it in one grant and then we're back to where we started after probably 15-20 years uh, so I don't think it's easy but I think there is an opportunity as Patrick said to be influencing mainly the Conservative Party and the Labour Party to say we need a more de- joined up devolution policy that tells us how you're properly going to devolve money to local local authorities and regions that Counts on us to deliver at lower cost because the proof is in the pudding in over covid we delivered stuff that was better that was more locally focused that had better outcomes than you giving a national contract to you know outsource a for two billion pounds
1: yeah yes i mean patrick could you work with that the same sort of fund funding
2: envelope but, but more flexibility. It's exactly what we need, is that simplification of the system. So I, I think Peter's right. It, this isn't going to be a vote winner in any manifesto, but what we need to do is influence that. There's a conversation that, coming out of any election, we can change some of the system, whether that's streamlining and simplifying all the, the various funding systems into one grand pot. There are tweaks to council tax and business rates we can do that will help improve those. I don't think any government's ever going to try and grapple and take away council tax and bring something else in. That's just, going to be, that's just not going to happen. But we can help improve some of those things. So I think it's about the, the dialogue and the conversation. Simplify it, give us the cash. But that real ability then at the level of place, how are DWP spending the money? Don't be using national frameworks. Because what happens? Because I just know for my city, if I go to the north of the city, it's very urban very city-centric I go to the south of the city it's very rural old mining communities but it's very rural and farming and agriculture it's very different and it's not a big geography but how you'd want to spend DWP monies in those communities or how you might rework health funding in those communities would be very different and a different answer and we have seemed to have a one-size-fits-all for the country so I think we could get much more value for money by a greater influence, control through local authorities and that democratic process. And and trying to switch health to prevention, we've really got to get that into, into the world of what we do. It will reduce, if we if we spend some of health's money for them, there would be less people turning up at hospital and there'll be real benefits to the, the whole country. So there's a bit about reworking the system and how that works for me
1: the question that comes to mind there is how do you well we are where we are and there's crises on all fronts you know the nhs is under huge pressure so good luck with getting any money money off them at the moment um you know peter you mentioned housing and the pressures there in in lots of places how do you know how do we kind of manage to get upstream as that horrible horrible phrase goes but the
2: crisis brings an opportunity doesn't it and we've got to use where we currently are to change how things work. Uh, there's money in health that has no impact. I, it's highlighting, that I, I think Peter's point around how do we question what DWP do? How do we question what health spend their money on? That questioning, if, if politicians at a local level were, were really able to scrutinise and hold health to account in a proper way, they would change the way health spend some of their monies and have a greater impact. At the at the moment, it's very difficult to do that because it's all driven through a national framework and a national governance agenda through health. And, and I think Peter's points around really scrutinising and challenging and understanding how health spend their money, we would twist it and do it d- differently with greater control through local authorities that have a bigger impact.
3: I mean, and u- ultimately, to answer the question about like how do you budget in uncertain times, like. like like, I, I used to be an accountant in a former life, and I always tell this story about how, like, when I started, um, you know, you don't really know your job. And I just used to sit around tables and say two things mm, we'll do an accrual for that, and mm, I think we need to take some money out of this cost center. And with those two phrases, I was promoted well above my abilities. Um, and and uh, because all as a budget is, is ultimately a financial document of what you want to do it it it's not a thing in itself no budget ever balances ever unless you are very very good at your job um and or you've only got 2 pounds and you need to allocate one there and one there but no budget ever balances the total quantum tends to balance but there's usually oh we've got two million pounds of overspend over here, but we've actually taken two million pounds of extra income in parking revenue over here, and they balance out, and you end up you know subject to outturn it delivers another it delivers another ten thousand potholes you know because we've underspent this year that 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 sort of thing. Um, the problem is is that as we are budgeting year to year, comes back to what Joanne said earlier. You have to take. A certain level of risk when you are budgeting year to year, and so you can make the budget balance, but what will happen is if that overspend comes if and a lot will overspend, particularly county councils where demand management is very, very hard, um, they will overspend and then they will they will therefore use reserves, and that 's why you are seeing reserves go up and up and up because it is not possible for any local authority to say whether they're going to have five extra children come in to care or eight extra children. And that's the margins that we are talking about. We're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of people and hundreds and hundreds of services. We are talking sometimes the difference in spend of three or four million pounds can be three or four children or an adult adult or two adults moving into the area... Because there's a bungalow available here within the cost price that they are able to pay and suddenly that person needs a uh, needs a care package that can be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds. And that's not possible to budget for. And you end up taking that from reserves, putting it in the base budget next year, finding it from somewhere else. Not possible. And so you end up with sort of... It's balanced by stealth, isn't it? And that's all. You, all you, all as a, as a local government leader, I just need to know that my finance officer has put money in a special place. That if something comes along and costs us two million pounds, I don't need to have to worry about potholes. But that comes at the cost of being kicked by DLOOK about how much reserves I've got. But all is I'm all is I'm asking my one five one officer to do is make sure that we are balancing and managing and mitigating risk and so to answer your question budgeting on certain times is possible but you end up with more and more and more contingency for risk which comes at a cost of being able to spend that money on more fundamental change and that's really difficult and in
1: terms of your approach there you're going to you're going to opt for getting kicked by DLUC than getting kicked by your residents and voters any day of the week, presumably. <laughs> um, I think we're rapidly running out of time, and um, just one one question we haven't touched upon is, you know, if if given we are in the in the system, we are, you know, to what extent is it still possible to find savings and do, you know, so called transformation, you know, how and how do you approach that with staff and um, um, Patrick?
2: I once heard someone talk about getting better every day so the challenge i put into my organization is we get better every day at what we do so that means we're constantly looking at every process so we have a we have a a transformation program which is basically just helping us redesign the organization and it never stops so when we get through a set of looking at a set of processes and redesigning them and taking some cost out because we've got some new technology in place or something else has come along, that means we can do something in a different way. We look for efficiency savings and we realise those efficiency savings and we move on to the next process as to the next service thing. So it's a constant evolving thing uh, that we are a living organisation. We have to evolve. We have to use new and we have to innovate. We have to learn from others and we don't stop doing that. And that's all we do as an organisation. We have a process and a structure and we keep at it all the time.
1: Joanne, just come on you on that. What do you hear from sit for members in terms of? Uh,
4: uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, we're in a, we're in a really difficult uh, position again with cost of living. So, you know, set and, uh, you know, we've been through sort of uh, a number of years of, of, of austerity. So, a lot of that, you know, that old expression, that low hanging fruit, has gone. So the types of savings that um, people are looking at now uh, are are more complex and less obvious types of savings. And when you're hit then by inflation, some of those sort of automatically disappear. Um, So that becomes quite difficult. So the savings become uh, become much harder um, when those decisions, uh, you know, you're looking across the board. So um, we are seeing savings. Uh, the other the other thing about savings is, uh, uh, from a SIPFA point of view, sometimes we've seen um, uh, the one of the, you know, the authorities that's, uh, that uh, are often in trouble um, at the beginning of the year have slightly unrealistic uh, savings uh, plans. And that would be one of the things that we're really concerned about, you know, savings. It's really important. But you've got to get buy-in across the board from everybody. You know, it's no point in having a top-down savings plan that is unachievable. So what I, I probably would, would pull out is that is there's a recognition it gets harder and harder each year for having a savings plan. But if you do have one, make sure that it is, um, it, it, it is realistic and achievable because, in fact, if it isn't and you're banking on that as a balancer for, for some of the budget stuff, that's going to lead you into even a
1: a you know, more difficult place than you were originally. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember the year Croydon went a lot of gossip about they can never make their, their savings plan, and yeah, lo and behold. Um, Peter, if you, very quick, last word on that question, is it, is it still possible to, to find savings and, and transformation?
3: Yeah, um, because the world changes. You know, we weren't, uh, when I started on the Resources Board, Uh, before I became chair you know everybody always says and, and this is where we need to be careful as local authorities to not cry wolf all the time we've been saying for 10 years now if we're not careful and we don't get this money this year we are going to fall over and still the vast majority of councils do a great job year in year out of balancing their budgets and delivering and keeping on delivering services to the people that matter and the number of authorities that have fallen over are still very small and where they have fallen over actually are very there's even fewer where actually the real problem was not that they were chasing money but it was, tends to be a governance and, and and accountability and systematic failure within that particular authority rather than sort of like they didn't have enough money and, it, and it, it, it's all gone wrong. So where we were in 2019 is very different to where we were now. You know, we wouldn't be meeting each other on teams and, and recording this digitally. We'd have all got on a train to London. We'd all be sitting in a room. That would have cost money. So there are technologies that mean that, you know, people can meet. That means if people aren't in the office as much, do you need as many photocopiers? All of that sort of thing. You, can, you should never take your eye off the ball about efficiency because the world will change but fundamentally you cannot stop a child coming into care you can't stop some of the big some of the big real thorny issues that are coming down the line and they are getting closer and closer and closer and i think that's the challenge that we have it it's easy to budget it's not deliver it's not easy to deliver those savings but at some point you and this is where a lot of councils will get is it going to be possible to make that cut to this service that everybody sees or is it, is, it, is it even preferable to have commissioners come in and do it for you because fundamentally it's not a choice that lots of local politicians want to make and we are, I think, getting closer to, the, to D-Day in a lot of those authorities where those choices just no, will not be palatable.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Peter, and thank you, all of you. I think we, we've gone over time, so we need to wrap up. Um, that's a really interesting and thought-provoking discussion. Um, and, yeah, let's let's hope we're not having this conversation again in, f- in a few years' time and that local government has some more certainty over its future. So thank you all, and thank you for listening. Um, we'll see you next time on The Local Authority.
0: This podcast was brought to you by LGC and TPX Impact. TPX Impact is a change agency on a mission to build 21st century public sector institutions, which are catalysts for change in the internet and climate era to radically improve outcomes for communities. For more information, go to tpximpact.com. TPX Impact, transformation that matters.